pray. Father, we come to you acknowledging just the very words of that song that should echo the joy of our heart, that it's the name of Jesus that has bought us, has purchased us, has redeemed us, the name of Jesus that defeated sin and death. It is by Jesus' name that uh, we are no longer trapped in our sin, but we are able to walk free from our bondage because Jesus' death paid for our sins and he paid for our life and life more abundantly. We acknowledge that it is the name of Jesus that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord at some point in time. And so God, today we pray that you would speak to us We pray today that we would understand what it means to move forward with intent and purpose, knowing that we're not going through life haphazardly, but we are going through with great expectation, knowing that you want to accomplish great things in and through us. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you want to, uh, you can grab your Bibles, have a seat, uh, grab your Bibles, turn to Proverbs chapter 29, and then you can mark your finger in Matthew chapter 9 starting at verse 35. Now, I will warn you that in the past, I preached from Matthew 9, verses 35 through 38, uh, but I want to encourage you as we jump into this, if you'll notice our sermon series we started a couple weeks ago called Vision, Living with Clarity and Purpose. I want you to understand one of the things that I feel like that we're seeing in today's culture is simply that we have a lot of people who are walking around with no clarity. We have a lot of people walking around with no purpose. They would even say, a lot of people I've run into would say, you know, I'm not sure what value my life has. We see depression on the rise. We see suicide on the rise. We realize that, that a lot of times we look and go, well, I just don't bring any value, any purpose, and any meaning. And what I want you to understand is this, that anytime you feel that, um, anytime you may Uh, deal with those types of feelings or emotions. I have no value, no purpose. That is not something that's from God, but it's something from Satan. That Satan wants to undercut, he wants to undergird everything that God wants to do in your life. And the reality is, the the, the things that we see going on in our culture are simply a, a ploy of Satan. Remember, the thief comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. And so when we see the violence, when we see the hatred, when we see the, the bickering, when we see the, the idea that even politics is what's gonna be delivering us or saving us from those things, we begin to understand that Satan is just at work, working overtime to try and discourage the people that are around us. And I would even say that many in the church face the same struggles, What I wanna do today is to look at what it means to move forward with intent and purpose. And so here's what I wanna do. In Proverbs chapter 29, this is a famous verse, a verse that a lot of people have heard. Matter of fact, if you've ever heard it in the King James Version, you'll hear something like this. Where there is no vision, the people perish, all right? Now, while we clarify that, and while it's been used in many ways and many shapes and forms to say, hey, look, a church without a vision is a church that's not on the, 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 the right road. But I wanna classify or clarify the reality of what this verse means. And then we're gonna jump into Matthew chapter nine, verse 35, because we have to begin to understand uh, what, what or the reality of what this verse means in order to understand what's going on. So in, in Proverbs chapter 29, verse 18, it says, where there is, my, this is my version, NIV, where there is no revelation, the people cast off restraint, but blessed is he who keeps the law. All right? So I wanna ask this question. How many of you would say, I'm a planner? 
Like when I'm going somewhere, whether it's shopping or we're going on a trip, I got to have the details planned out. I make a list of what I'm, what I'm taking. I'm, how, many, how many of you are planners? All right. How many of you would say, look, I am the free flower. I'm just going to, whatever comes up, we're good to go. Okay. All right. All right. Hey, there's nothing wrong with either one of those. But I want you to understand this, that a lot of times, if in our lives we free flow constantly or consistently in our purpose, then oftentimes if we free flow in our purpose, we miss maybe what God has in store for us. All right? And so what I want to look at is moving forward with intent and purpose. Now, uh, the reason why I bring up planning is because everything in a planning person's idea is that there is an orderly system set up in order to make sure we have either the best vacation or I have the best planned meal system or I'm going to make sure like my wife doesn't allow me to go to the store with her because I'm the guy who runs off going, hey, I think we need this. And I throw it in the cart and I come back and we're walking by and I see something I really like. I'm like, oh, grab that, throw it in the cart. And the next thing we know, Sarah's like, we just spent like 50 bucks more because you came with me. So I literally don't go grocery shopping because, because we would end up spending more money. Not, not that I would necessarily have time now, but I, I, I want you to understand that when we, when we work in an orderly fashion, when we begin to plan things out, we can begin to move forward with intent and purpose. And so there's a number of, of uh, quotes or statements I want to give you just as we open up, but I want you to think about this. Ben Franklin says this, by failing to prepare, you're preparing to fail. By failing to prepare, you're preparing to fail. And what I want us all to see today as we dig into this is that there is a planning process. There is a process to move forward with intent and purpose in our lives, our spiritual lives, but in our lives in general. We have to begin to understand that if we prepare to fail, then we're setting ourselves up for failure. Or if we, if we, don't lack, or if we lack planning, we prepare ourselves to fail. Matter of fact, I've heard this before. Maybe you've heard it. I don't know who said it, but plan your work and work your plan, all right? But I love this quote, and I wanna, I wanna wrap up with this one on this part. All you need is the plan, the roadmap, and the courage to press on to your destination. A guy named Earl Nightingale made that quote. And what I wanna encourage us with today as we jump into this section, and then we're gonna be in Matthew chapter nine, is to literally understand that all we need is the plan and the roadmap, and then listen to me, the courage or faith to continue on the plan or process in order to accomplish what God wants us to do. All right? What we need, again, is we have to have the plan and the roadmap and the courage to press on to our destination. So as I jump into this, I want to just basically, I want you to understand this, that God has never made anything without a purpose. Matter of fact, sometimes I wonder, why did you make that? Poison ivy. God, why did you make poison ivy? Mosquitoes. Literally. I think God did it because he's like, you know what? I'm gonna mess with these guys. They're always asking me for stuff and I'm just gonna give them something that shows them what it's like to constantly get sucked dry 
by the very, no, I'm just joking. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's just one of those things God's like, I'm gonna show them that they're not everything they're cracked up to be. But God never made anything without a purpose. The plants, the animals, our, our atmosphere. God made you and I. He made you and I to have significance. He made you and I to have value. And he made you and I with a very specific purpose. And as we begin to understand, or as we begin to unpack that, we begin to see that, hey, we can see a bigger picture of what's going on. Again, King James, where there is no vision, the people perish. My version, or the NIV again, where there is no revelation, the people cast off restraint. But blessed is he who keeps the law. Now, the reason why I started off there is because I have to think we have to understand exactly what's taking place here in this section of scripture. And when we talk about moving forward with intent and purpose, we have to understand that God has an intent and purpose in my life and God has intent and purpose for the church. But for some reason, in some way, shape, or form, in American cultural Christianity, we made it all about attending and not really about living out everything that God has called us to do. So here's the big statement. If you remember anything, I want you to remember this, that you can move forward with great expectation when you follow the map God has given you. You can move forward with great expectation when you follow the map God has given you. Matter of fact, I use this in, in, in previous times, but when I go on a trip, I like to plan my route. Like every time I'm leaving to go somewhere, if I'm traveling around Northwest Missouri, I plan my route. Sometimes I take off roads because I'm like, I've never been this way. Matter of fact, last year, I was telling somebody, last year after it snowed one time in March, I decided to take these back roads and ended up in some Amish country, somewhere between um, uh, Maryville and Bethany. And I thought for sure, because I was on dirt roads, I'm not gonna make it out of these roads because I had my, at the time, Nissan Altima. <laughs> and I went, maybe I shouldn't have come this way. But I like to plan out the route that I want to go. I've got a destination in mind, and in order to get to that destination, I need to begin to plan with intent and purpose so that I can make it to the destination and end. Now, the reason why I bring that up is because there's gonna be things we're gonna talk about today that I want you to see the big picture overall of what we're attempting to do as a church. But as we do that, over the next couple of weeks, we're gonna then sink into or dive into the idea of what we want to accomplish and how we wanna accomplish that and really what that requires of us as a church. Because the simple fact is that if we want to move forward with intent and purpose, then we have to be like-minded and be on the same goal or same trajectory. So here's the thing. I've got five things I want to give you that I think we need to understand over the next couple of things. Number one is this, that God reveals himself in scripture. In order to move forward with great expectation, I have to understand that God reveals himself in scripture. Look again at Proverbs chapter 29, where there is no revelation, the people cast off restraint. The idea is not the vision aspect. The idea is the revelation of God, God showing himself, God showing exactly what he's about, God showing who he is, God showing his purpose, God showing his value, God shows his meaning, and God shows us our value and our meaning. What we have to begin to understand, though, is this. If we have no revelation from God, in other words, I am not seeking God on a daily basis, listen to what it says, where there is no revelation, the people cast off restraint. Guess what that means in my life? That when I am not consistently seeking God on a daily basis, guess what my natural tendency is? I'm gonna throw off any sort of control or restraint I have. 
because I'm gonna go to what I think I need rather than being obedient to what God has called me to do. Where there is no revelation, in other words, when I am not seeking God in his will, when I'm not looking at the map he's given me, when I'm not looking into the deep recesses of his word so he can reveal to me the truth about myself and the truth about everybody else and the truth that I need, the gospel, God reveals himself in scripture. And a lack of vision is a lack of God's relevatory word. In other words, it's very relevant to you. So when I sit back and I say, man, I have no vision for my life, the reason I have no vision for my life would be simply this, that you are not seeking God in his word. Now, here's the struggle with a lot of this, because if you read anything about the New Testament, you'll hear over and over and over again that it says that the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers. So I believe wholeheartedly there are unbelievers who read God's word and don't experience it because very simply, they have had their minds blinded by Satan. Remember, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But listen to me, God came so that you may have life and life more abundantly. And God's plan or roadmap or his directions in order to understand how to have an abundant life is simply right here. Where there is no revelation. In other words, if I am not spending any time, here's one of the greatest struggles as a pastor. I'm gonna be honest. One of the greatest struggles as a pastor is knowing that you get up every day of every week for years and at times you wonder if you're making any difference. And here's the reason why. Because you and I all know this if you've been in church for a while. Spiritual growth is slow growth. And sometimes when sin rises its ugly head in somebody's life and you see it rise up, you sit back and you go, I'm obviously not making a world of difference. But I want you to understand this. Where there is no revelation, your life can't be changed. So it's good to come in and listen to preaching. It's good to come in and be challenged in discipleship. But the simple question is, if you're not growing, you are not getting the revelation God wants to reveal to you about himself. Most people, here's here's the struggle. Most people, when we approach reading the Bible, you know how we read it? We read it through a self, a selfish lens. It's all about me. When the reality is when I read scripture, it's all about God. And through that, as I learn God's nature and God's qualities and God's attributes and and the things that he has desired, he's gonna speak to me about who I am and what my purpose is and the things I have that I bring value to and that I have a plan for you, that there is something great in store for you. So we have to understand that God reveals himself through scripture. And I don't understand why do we expect to walk through life without problems? Why do we not plan our lives according to the map? Because the simple fact is this, when I was going to Montana, when we would visit my grandparents, there's this area between Butte and Billings, or Billings and Butte, that is one of the steepest climbs. It's just a mountain. You're going up these mountains. And I remember all the, you know, if you're coming back down the mountain, coming back from there, I remember all the runaway truck ramps and things like that. But you and I know that when a road has traveled long enough, at some point, you're going to hit a valley or you're going to hit a mountain. And a mountain is a lot harder to get up. But when you get to the top of the mountain, you get the view, and then what do you got? A downhill ride. And sometimes we try and go through life without any sort of direction, without any sort of map, and then we get to the hills and the valleys, the mountains and the valleys, and we go, I'm done, it's over. 
And what I want you to understand is this. If we want to live with intent and purpose, we have to move forward with great expectation because when we follow the map God has given us, we'll succeed. So we have to understand that God reveals himself in scripture. Number two, listen to this. We allow our lives to get out of control. That's simply that. We do. A matter of fact, I was talking with our leadership just a little bit earlier, and I want you to understand a number of things that take place. The less we do, we, we, we try and balance. We don't wanna overwhelm your schedule with a bunch of church stuff, but I also want you to understand this, that oftentimes it's seen that when the church begins to back out and not schedule as much, we just fill our lives with more stuff. That's just the standard practice. Less church, more TV, less church, more activities, less church, more this, less church, more that, less of being involved, all of those things. But I want you to understand what ends up happening. Listen to his sentence. We allow our lives to get out of control. Where there is no revelation, the people cast off restraint. In other words, we, we let it go. The word actually translated cast off restraint in the original means to loosen or to expose or uncover. A matter of fact, it's the same word that was used in the Old Testament when, when Moses was coming down from getting the Ten Commandments and it said the people had cast off restraint and they had built the golden calf. The exact same word. So when there's no vision, no direction, no, no, no desire to get into God's word, then I'm gonna throw off restraint. That means I'm gonna run to whatever seems easiest. And we allow our lives to get out of control when we do that. See, what's easy is depression. Now, I'm not gonna argue what's going on, but what's easy is depression. Why? Because we become overwhelmed with everything that goes on in our lives. We become overwhelmed with the attacks that Satan bombards us with. We become overwhelmed with financial discouragement. We become overwhelmed with relational discouragement. What is hard is sticking to your guns and following God even in the storm. Matter of fact, I'm reminded consistently of the Casting Crown songs, I will, I will praise you in the storm. If you've ever, never listened to it, you need to look it up, Casting Crowns, I will praise you in the storm because I can guarantee you, it's not a matter of if or when, or it's not a matter of if you'll go through the storm, it's just a matter of when. The problem is what happens is we let our lives get out of control because here's the first thing that goes usually, scripture reading, out, church, gone, all hell breaks loose in my life, everything gets out of control, and then we run to everything else. We may look into alcohol, we may look into drugs, we may look into you know, self-help books, we may look into all of these different things when the reality is what you need is a closer relationship with Jesus over and over and over again. It needs to be a close relationship. When you are getting a revelation from God daily, in other words, spending time in your word, there are gonna be things he's gonna show you that you're like, man, I didn't even know I needed that. But I begin to move forward understanding that I can live within restraint. See, life is not found in our ability to obey a list of do's and don'ts. Matter of fact, if you were to read the New Testament, if you read in, in sections of Matthew and Mark and Luke, you'll see this area where the Pharisees stood up and they're like, man, look at me. Thank God I'm not like that poor dude. Thank God I'm not like that, that guy who came in and, and he's, look at what I've done. Look at everything I do. And a lot of times that's how we approach life. Life is not about a bunch of do's and don'ts, spiritual life especially. But our, our life with Jesus is not about do's and don'ts. Our life with Jesus is all about obedience, Period. 
Am I seeking out God so that I can be an obedient person to what he has called me to do? See, our obedience to God and our keeping of his word flow from a relationship in which we are loved by God and we love him in return. That's the important thing that we have to begin to understand. So number two, we allow our our lives to get out of control. Number three, though, I want you to understand is this, that God works in the lives of his people and he wants workers for the harvest. If you were to flip to Matthew chapter nine, I'd encourage you to do that real quick. Matthew chapter nine, starting in verse 35, we've used this before and the reason why I wanna use it again is because I think it's something we have to begin to understand. As a church, in order to move forward with intent and purpose, we have to begin to understand that God works in the lives of his people and he wants workers for the harvest. Look at Matthew chapter nine. Jesus went through all the towns and the villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. But then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers in his field. Here's what we begin to understand. Here's where we begin to see our plan and our purpose. There is a point behind why we go through what we go through. There is a desire that God has for each and every one of us that in the midst of your storm, that you're able to with, with or, or, or bear through the storm and then you're able to use the storms and the negatives in your life to expose who you are and then to show others what God can do in and through that. So you got two choices. You can use the negatives to completely tear you down, to make you feel discouraged, or you can use the negative things that happen in your life realizing that God wants to do something even in the midst of the negative things in a great way. Matter of fact, for those of you who don't know, it's been eight years ago, next, matter of fact, eight years ago in nine days, I was asked to resign from our church in Springfield. There was a lot of conflict, a lot of struggles, a lot of hurt feelings, a lot of friendships that were broken. But what's funny is two weeks, literally two weeks before I was asked to resign. I was doing my quiet time. And as I did, I came across Exodus 14. And starting in verse 13, it says that Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today will never see, you will never see again. And then listen to verse 14. And this is a verse that I would commit to memory if I was you, because when you face a storm or a struggle or an all-out war, you have to understand that God is fighting for you. Listen to Exodus 14, starting or in verse 14. The Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. Can I not venture to say that most of us, when it comes to fighting a battle in our lives, are active people? How many of you would say, that's me, I'm, I'm an active person. I, the storm is coming, I see it's coming, there's gonna be a battle that's gonna be raging and I gotta preemptively strike the enemy. Would you say that's a, a, a position that most of us would line up in? But listen again, to going back to Exodus 14, the Lord will fight for you, you need only to be still. See, God works in the lives of his people so that we can withstand the storm, so that we can get through those things. But I also want you to understand this. He's also looking for workers of the harvest. See, why didn't Jesus, if he is Lord of the harvest, just do it himself? Wouldn't that be a lot easier? Like, God, don't use me. It'd be a lot easier if you just did it yourself. I mean, doesn't that sound easy? I'm like, 
Like control freak, planner myself, it's a lot easier to just be like, you know what, I'll just do this myself. It's a lot harder to get people on board, isn't it? It's a lot harder to get people to do what you're hoping they do or to, to move along with your plan and your purpose and your desire. That's a lot harder, but it's a lot easier to do it myself. Why? Because I can do it my way. But the simple fact is this, that God chose to use people. And what we have to begin to understand is this. There are two things I want you to see here just in, in number three, but I want you to also know this, that God always works through people and prayers. Listen again what he says in Matthew 9. As I, sorry, I flipped over there. Matthew chapter nine. <clears throat> when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they're harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said the, to the disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers. So here's the thing. Number one, God always works through people and through our prayers. So the question is, are you, are, are you a person who's willing to be put into use? Are you saying, God, here I am, send me in the, in the words of Isaiah, the prophet. Are you, are you saying, God, I, you know, I'll go to wherever it is. If that means I'm going to my neighbors, if that means I'm going to, to coworkers, if that means I'm going around the world, then I will go wherever it is. God works in the lives of his people. And number two is this, that God's work is always accomplished in spite of our participation. In other words... And this is one of the things I shared with our leadership today, that God's plan or purpose is going to work whether it's with the people here at Three Trails or without us and through others. God's plan and purpose is always going to prevail whether it's with the people at Three Trails or without us and through others. Do you get that picture? Do you understand what I'm saying? In other words, if God is sovereign, God is going to accomplish his plan and his purpose and his intent. I would just prefer that he would say, hey, I'm gonna pour out the blessing on three trails. I would prefer he say, hey, why not? If anybody else, why not three trails? If anybody else, why not the church of three trails to challenge and change and impact the city of independence? Why not have the people of three trails? Listen, if you look around at our church, the reality is we've got new church plants around the city that I can tell you for the most part tend to be generationally young. And when I meet with these church planters and stuff, you know what they say? We need older people who can disciple younger people. And then I go to the old churches where we got a bunch of old people that are about to die. And they're like, we want young people who can carry out some of the ministry. But if you look around our church, we got a multi-generational church that still needs to reach younger people, that still needs to disciple people. And so we have to begin to understand that God works in the lives of his people. He's at work right now in everybody's life in some way, shape, or form right here, right now. There may be some doubt on, on your part. You may be going, I don't want him to work on me. I'm good. Leave me alone. Matter of fact, I, I, I tell this jokingly, but I remember telling God, God about six months before I was asked to resign, God, you got to break me. You got to do whatever you got to do to use me. Six months later, I was asked to resign. I'm like, I didn't really like that prayer. Not, not thinking this was the greatest prayer that I could have been praying. God, just do whatever you got to do to move me on because that wasn't my intent. But God works in the lives of his people and he wants, listen, workers for the harvest. See, God's plan or purpose is going to work whether it's with us or without us. And if God's going to work, then we just have to simply ask the question, why not us? Why not position ourselves in a place that says, God, we're wanting you to work in and through us. 
God, we want you to bless us. God, give us relationships with lost people so that we can see lost people come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. God, grant us favor with schools. Grant us favor with politicians. Grant us us favor with our, our, our law enforcement. Grant us favor with poor people. Grant us favor with homeless people so that we can share the gospel with them and see them come to Christ. That's what he wants to do. That's the challenge we face. And so he's gonna bless the church. Why not bless three trails? Why not position ourselves in an area or a place, in a position or a posture that says, God, do whatever you gotta do. Just use us in a way that impacts the city of independence greatly. Right? That's the truth. That's the reality. That's the intent and purpose. And so what I hope you hear is this. Listen, it's more than just coming in on Sunday morning. It's more than just coming in and being encouraged and digging into the word. Listen, we gotta be digging into the word on our own. As a matter of fact, you should have no excuse. And here's why. Out on that table, there's a green piece of paper. Inside, there's a little yellow or orange piece of paper that's got the here journal explanation. One chapter a day is what we're asking you to commit for a year. One chapter. That's not even that much. But you'll read the whole entire New Testament in one year. One year of digging in, reading that chapter, and then following the Hear Journal process. And here's what I want to challenge everybody in our church. I don't care if you're young or old. You need to go to Walmart right now, today, this morning, and either get a moleskin journal, get yourself a cheap three, or not a three ring, a spiral notebook, and you need to start journaling. And what I mean by that in journaling is this. You have to begin to do the here journal to say, God, what are you doing in my life? highlight what he's talking about in that scripture. Explain something in there that stands out. What's it mean? Who's it about? What's he trying to teach me? What is he showing the people? Application. What does this mean for my life? And then my response. Very simple. Doesn't have to be anything massive. Four to five sentences. I'm not asking for a dear diary. For all you men who are like, I'm not getting a diary, bunch of sissies. It's not what I'm asking. I'm talking about growing in your relationship with Jesus, digging into the word, looking super deep at my heart and asking God, God, what you just revealed to me today, I have to confess of this in my life. I need you to change me from the inside out because God has a harvest field that is ripe and ready for picking and we just gotta be a part of it. So God works in our lives or in the lives of his people but he also wants to work or wants us to work for the harvest. For number four is this, all right? You can move forward with great expectation when you follow the map that God has given you, but I want you to see this fourth thing. We must harvest in season. I believe wholeheartedly there is a time and a place to harvest. If you harvest too soon, there's gonna be problems. If it's too late, it's gonna be rotten. There is a time in the harvest that we have to harvest at a certain time. The problem, remember, is never the harvest. The problem is the worker or the lack of workers or the simple laziness of maybe some of those who are called to work but don't wanna work. See, the problem is not the harvest. The problem is the worker. So he says to the disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are what? Few. I'm gonna explain this just in a simple application for our church. And I think we do a pretty good job, but I think we got to not get so big headed that we got so many serving that we can't realize that we got to step up our A game 
a little bit better. We have more people on average who serve in our church than the typical church because we run about 65 to 75, counting kids and everybody. And I would say we have about 50% of our church serving in some way, shape, or form, maybe a little, little larger. We try and track that, okay? All right, 50%. The average church is between 10 and 20, okay? So I wanna applaud you. I wanna give you great praise because I appreciate your hard work. I know without it, a smaller church struggles more, but I wanna applaud you for your great work. But I also want you to understand, listen, it still says the workers are few. You know what I found ironic? I'm out in South Dakota last week. We're having great conversations. I'm with the guys I was in the Navy with. Haven't seen most of them for 22 years. Man, we sat around the fire pit and we had all kinds of conversations where I got to share the gospel. I got to sit with the family, family members also who were there. It wasn't just all the Navy guys. There were family members there for this wedding. And we got to talk about church. We got to talk. I got to brag on you. I talked about what we've tried to do and how we've tried to make an impact and how honestly we're, I feel like we're hitting a niche in independence that most other churches aren't. I feel like we've got a great niche, but I want you to understand this, that we can't stop there. Matter of fact, I was even encouraged, one of them, like, man, if we live close, we'd probably come to your church. They don't even go to church. They're like, that'd be cool. We like that. We're talking about, like, trying to reach out to addicts. We're talking about reaching out to homeless. We're talking about reaching out to the schools. We talked about serving our community and doing our, our thing a couple weeks ago. Those are simple things that people are looking at and they're watching. And I want to brag on you again because we've had a friend recently, for those of you who have helped out, you know how much you've given and invested in this, this family's life, this, this, this wife who's dealt with breast cancer. And I'm telling you that the gospel is, or, or their hearts are open to the gospel. They're looking, they're going, wow, what, what's going on? This is unlike anything we've ever seen before. But listen, it's still, the workers are few. So what I'm saying is we need people who are gonna work. And when I say that, I'm not just talking about Sunday morning serving on Sunday morning. I'm talking about going out to your neighbors, building relationships with them, hoping to share or praying to share the gospel. When you get that advantage, take advantage of it. Learn to just have a conversation with them. We have to, we must harvest in season. And here's what we begin to see. And I, I, I stole this quote from a pastor. Um, I've never heard this one, but I thought it was great. We're not here to develop spiritual frat houses of people who know the Bible enough to pass a test, who know the Bible enough to get accepted into the fraternity. No, we're not here to pay our dues. We're not here to sit as a Christian country club, but we're here, and this is my part, that quote's done. We are here to be workers of the harvest. We're here to be warriors in a spiritual battle, not against flesh and blood, but against satanic forces that are at work around us. We have to begin to understand that we are workers of the harvest and a worker overcomes evil with good, overcomes hate with love, overcomes vengeance with grace. The goal of disciple making is always and has always been to change the world. And if you remember Jesus' greatest commandment, or sorry, the Jesus, Jesus in the Great Commission, he said to go and make disciples. A disciple is somebody who changes the world. So now do you see our intent and our plan? If we are to be obedient to what God has called us, we are to be a church that is all about developing people who will change the world. You see the bigger picture now? 
Do you see the plan and purpose? Do you see the desire? Do you see the reason why we need to have a roadmap so that we can begin to understand that in order to change the world, we need disciples who are gonna make disciples. In order to change the world, we need people who are gonna grow in the grace and knowledge and understanding of Jesus and take that grace, knowledge, and understanding to others. It's just simple form of discipleship. Matter of fact, the goal of disciple making is and always has been to change the world, but I want you to think about this. If we seek to build a church, we may or may not get disciples. But if we seek to raise up and to develop disciples, we will always get the church. If we seek to build a church, we may or may not get disciples. But if we seek to raise up and develop disciples, we will always get the church. Everything we must do must be about growing and developing people who are going to change the world with the gospel. You may be a person today and say, that's great, but I don't understand what that means to me. I don't understand how I can get involved. I don't know what you're talking about and what I can do, but I want you to understand this, that on every level, whether it's children's ministry, youth ministry, our adult ministries and stuff like that, is our goal is to develop people who will be disciples who will change the world. And so I wanna give you some statistics. I should have probably done this a little bit easier, but number five is this. So we must harvest in season. Number five is this. I want you to understand our vision as the church. Number one is this, and I've laid this out to our leadership uh, recently in the last couple months. We wanna average 100. And I know this sounds like a small number, all right? But we have not averaged 100 in attendance yet. We've, we've cleared. We had 169 one Christmas Eve. We had 112 and 120 something at Easter. Those are great. A lot of that's usually family we invite in. We get first time guests and things like this. Our goal is that we would average 100 in attendance at least four weeks straight. My opinion is this, that if we average 100 in attendance, that means we're reaching people with the gospel, okay? So that's not my main goal. Here's the, the, the next goal, and this would be a huge one. Number two, oh, 100 in attendance, 10 baptisms. Now, before you go, well, wait a second here, all right? 10 baptisms is four more than we've ever done in any one year, okay? So I told you recently, in the six years since I've been here, we've had 33 baptisms. That's huge, that's great, that's awesome. Matter of fact, I could tell you statistically that that puts us probably in the top 5% in the state, and we're a small church, okay? There are a lot of bigger churches, they're baptizing way more, all right? But if we've had the maximum of six in one year, to have 10, this is a God-sized task, I believe wholeheartedly if we see 10 people come to Christ, our average attendance would be easily over 100. But guess what that means? That means we gotta share the gospel. That means we gotta reach out to our neighbors. That means I gotta open up my house and invite people over for dinner. That means I need to be connected in maybe some community events that my kids are supposed to be involved in or maybe they're playing sports or something like that and I get to know parents and people through that. That means our goal is to see people saved in Christ, saved by Christ. 10 baptisms is a God-sized feat with where we're at, okay? That's a big God-sized, that's a big dream. But I'm asking you right now, remember we says pray to the Lord of the harvest for more workers? I'm asking you to pray every day. Matter of fact, six years ago, we started a thing called the 937 Initiative, all right? 937, every morning and every night at 937, if you're awake at 9.37, if not, do it earlier, all right? That you pray, that you pray, number one, 
for lost people. Remember we did the who's your one not too long ago, that you would be praying for your lost person, the person you want to reach with the gospel, the person you're hoping would come to faith in Jesus. Number two, that you would pray that more workers would rise up to the occasion, that would be ready for the harvest, okay? So 9.37, this is one thing I wanna encourage you, this is application. You should be praying every morning, 9.37, every evening, 9.37, be praying for those two things, all right? 10 baptisms, and here's the deal, double our life groups from three to six. This is our vision for this year. For this year, we'd like to see the number of life groups go from three to six, that's double, okay? Now that may be a Sunday morning, Sunday school class that kind of rises up and becomes like a little life group, but we want to see those growing. Here's the reason why. You need to be discipled. Everybody needs to be discipled. And so we're working on this path and process, but we wanna make sure that people are growing in their faith with Jesus, that eventually, listen, eventually they're going to be discipling somebody else as well. So that's the discipleship mandate, okay? We want to see that played out. Now, here's what I wanna share with you in order to do this. In order to accomplish this, we have to work together as a team. This is not a solo effort. These are God-sized dreams, but we also believe God can come through if we're faithful. I wanna give you some statistics real quick that I'm not gonna put up there. I probably should have drawn them out and stuff, but I'll have them more over the next couple of weeks. But I want you to understand, I recently did a, a, a survey thing or got, got information about the people around our church. This is dated information, so it could be changed just a little bit. But within one mile of our church, a one mile radius of our church, we have 8,792 people who live around us. Let's just say, think, put this into perspective. Let's say 10% of 8,700, or not 10%, 1%, sorry, of 8,792 people end up coming to Christ. How many would that be? 87, 88. What if we led 88 people to Jesus in the next year? <laughs> yeah, I see the looks like, what are, you, what are you talking about? That's called an outbreak. That's called a revival. That's called God revolutionizing a county or a, a city, all right? That's in one mile, one mile. That's three miles. Listen, three mile radius all the way around north, south, east, and west, 78,563 people live around us. 1% would be 785, 1%. Not even talking 10, 20, 30%. 1% would be 785 people. Five mile radius, 157,690 people live within five miles north, south, east, and west of us. Imagine if we were to reach 1,576 people with the gospel. What is that? That's revolutionary. A thousand people in the city of Independence changed by the truth of Jesus Christ, actively involved in their community, sharing the gospel with their friends, seeing an outbreak that is unstoppable. One percent. Listen to me, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. How can you plug in? How can you get connected? How can you grow? How can you be a part of it? I say this because we have this vision and I, I've, I've given this as, as really my vision, but I want you to understand this, that if our vision is to plant or replant churches, not only in Independence and Kansas City, but hopefully around the United States and around the world, that's something that one person can't do on their own. That's something that a group of even 60 people can't do on their own. 
but it's a cooperative effort of everybody working together, everyone understanding their plan and their purpose, everyone seeing that they've got something to give, something to offer, regardless of where you've been at in the past, regardless of maybe how you've been burned or maybe you've struggled, what you deal with, that God has great intent and great purpose for you. And I just wanna encourage you with that. And I wanna challenge you to pray. Listen, pray. Remember we did the 110, but I wanna challenge you even one step further that you would pray that this year that God would give us or grant us favor with 1%. 1%. right? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the promise and the hope. We thank you for the desire. We pray, God, just as we echo this, that you would be made famous, that God, 1%, would just be a goal. God, we pray for the people who would come to faith and trust through us sharing the gospel. We pray for the fact that we want to see lives changed. We want to see homes changed, families changed. We want to see the city changed and for the better. So God, we pray that you would have your way. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.